All right, here we go. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. He's going to learn a lesson. Maybe he needs to take his little ass over there and fix his race cars if he wants to keep wrecking. Ah, the kid's an idiot. Unfortunately, you race with idiots, and, um, you know, I guess he'll have that sometimes. I'm not going to say why I beat him, because then he'll fix it, but it has to do with behind the wheel. I need to wreck more people so they'll stop throwing bad blocks. You know, everybody that's watching all them drivers out there throw another bad block, I mean, I'm just going to drive through you and wreck you, so look out and tell they... He's the most unprofessional little scaredy cat I've ever seen in my life. You wouldn't even fight me like a man after. NASCAR wants to let the guys have at it. It shouldn't be any different in hockey. Let us have at it, and then when one guy goes to the ground, then it's over. Pure talent. That's about it. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. we got a great show for you today. No guests. You know why? We're going to have some great conversations with Mike Davis... Matthew Dillner, Leo Vaughn, the whole team's here. We're going to talk about Nashville Speedway. That's back on the schedule next season. I've been stewing over that for a couple days and just uh, trying to bite my tongue a little bit. So (laughs) I can't can't hold back anymore. Not on Uh, your own podcast. That's right. So (laughs) we're also going to talk about our driver, Josh Berry. He was in a dust-up in a Cars Tour race this past weekend at Ace Speedway, which is also in the news. We're going to tell you why. Coming up on the show, let's get started. The Dale Jr. Download. Um, So I guess whatever medicine he's taking makes him hallucinate because he needs three lanes to get around somebody on the racetrack. Pure talent. That's about it. And we are live. Hey, everybody, it's Dale Jr. for the Dale Jr. Download. We are live on our Ask Jr. portion of the show. This is brought to you by Xfinity. They are a premier partner for NASCAR and our podcast, and you're a partner for fast internet. Um, we're really uh, appreciative of their support. They support our sport in a lot of ways and are a great company. And I actually own Xfinity Internet as we speak. So, Looking forward to some great questions here that you guys are sending in. Leah's going to be handling all this stuff. Mike Davis is here as well if he wants to chime in. Matthew Dillner is going to take a break. So, uh, Leah, you ready? Yeah. Um, the most asked question this week, Dale, you got something going on this weekend. How are you preparing? How are you feeling going into Homestead? Well, I just got an email um, from Tony Mayoff, who is uh, part of our brand team, you know, telling me the, uh, what to expect this weekend. This is, uh, you know, I'm experiencing this for the first time. All the drivers in the series, in the Xfinity Series, Truck Series, Cup Series, have been, you know, going through this process and this type of protocol for many, many weekends. But it's really unique because I'm doing it for the first time. I'm going to I'm gonna fly into Homestead uh, the day of the race. Uh, I don't, I'm probably going to wait till the last possible minute to get there, maybe if I can push it to about an hour before the race starts. Um, I'll probably do that. And, uh, because once I get there, uh, I have to go through a screening process to get into the racetrack, a health screen. Once I'm in the racetrack, I have to sit in the car, uh, the rental car. You can't go anywhere. They won't, they won't allow, but only two people at a time inside the haulers. There's really nowhere to go. I didn't send my bus down there because I was going to come in the day of the race and leave at the end of the race. So I didn't want to send my driver all the way to Homestead, Florida, just for that. So I could sit in my bus for a little while and be comfortable. So I'm going to uh, try to minimize as much time as I can at being at the racetrack and 
I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put my suit on in, in the car and, and grab my helmet and my, my stuff and walk out to the race car and get in it. And I guess that's how it's going to work. Um, the curious thing for me is, is, uh, you know, I haven't had a lot of opportunities to really sit in the car, drive the car, understand if it's comfortable, if there's anything wrong, if this, you know, if the mirror's in the right place or all those little things that you like to take care of during the first few practices. And, uh, so there'll be a couple things that might not be exactly right or exactly comfortable as we're racing, but I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting in the car and, you know, just kind of enjoying the experience of driving a race car and competition and, uh, that's really the only reason why I would I'd even run these races um, <clears throat> at this particular point in my life is to just sort of remember the sights and the sounds and the smells. And there's, uh, there's a lot going on, though. They have the Martinsville race tomorrow. Uh, so there's weather in the forecast for Martinsville. There's also weather in the forecast for Homestead. And so everything is fluid. If something were to happen at Martinsville that might delay that event, it could change the schedule for Cup Series and the Xfinity's uh, Series at, at Homestead as well. So we're all just kind of keeping our ear to the ground and staying on the ready. Next question coming from Alan Stewart. What is your favorite piece of non-racing related memorabilia? Um, that's probably – man, that's tough. I got a, I got a lot of uh, – football helmets from a lot of different teams. Um, I started, I don't know, I just kind of casually started collecting helmets over the years. And as people learned that I had uh, a bit of a collection, I started getting more helmets given to me uh, by friends and, and folks in the, in the, in the, in the racing circles. Um, so I'm probably up to about 90 helmets of different, college and NFL teams. Uh, so that, that's, that's pretty cool. Interesting. Um, if I ever got tired of that, I don't know what I'd do with all those, uh, those helmets, but, um, I don't suspect I will. I've got a list of the ones that I still haven't attained, uh, to, to sort of, cause when I collect something, I, I have to complete the, you know, I like to complete the collection. Like, uh, I've got the entire catalog of stock car racing magazine. I got the entire catalog of circle track racing magazine. And those were start, those started back in the sixties and it's finding some of those older issues. There's a bit of a challenge. I'm also, uh, I have almost the 90% or 95% of the entire collection of playboy magazine. And interesting enough, my wife was the one that gave, that attained the majority of that collection, uh, for me. Yeah, I, I I think that I'm a collector. I like to collect things. That there's a couple there's a couple items right there that that I've spent time collecting, and uh, you know I I don't know what'll I don't know what I'll do with all this stuff. It's just kind of sitting in a. I got a library where I kind of keep books and magazines and all kinds of racing stuff. So uh, I have a big old I have a bunch of magazines and newspapers and just old old stuff from from racing history and in this library but um and it's fun to read i kind of I, I thumb through it keep a couple stashes of different eras and different bathrooms in the house and um get some reading in there 
This next question coming in from um, at NASCAR, it is on Twitter. With all the improvements in safety, is there room for improvement in cooling the drivers? And and is it even something you feel should be addressed or is it just part of the sport? Well, we can always make things better, right? We can always make the sport safer. It's smart to try to, you know, do everything you can to save drivers from injury or, or, or anything catastrophic for sure. So, uh, and we're always doing that. We're always working hard. You know, the, the cooling side of it is for the longest time, you know, the, the, the culture was that you had to be tough and you had to put up with, you know, you just, you had to put up with it. It was just, this is the way it was, man. And (laughs) even as recent as the last couple of years, the race teams, and the the crew chiefs, there's a there's a certain amount of amps that the alternator will put out, and the crew chief wants some of those amps to to be able to run certain things on the car. Uh, now the driver is only given X amount of amps to run anything that's going to make him more comfortable, and the crew chief is not going to give you more than he wants to give you. You're not going to be able to. In, you know, upgrade your cooling box or add additional cooling to the car without drawing amps from somewhere else that, you know, that's really critical to performance. So that's kind of been the battle between the drivers and the crew chiefs. And it's, it's hard for a driver to say to a crew chief, Hey, I'm uncomfortable. The last couple of races have been hot. Uh, Is there anything you can do for me? because he knows he's basically asking the crew chief to, to give up some performance. And even, even the driver doesn't want to do that to a point. So you're really walking a fine line there and you see it at the end of the race in Atlanta, all of those guys, um, they were pushed to the very edge, uh, of what they could do physically. And so, and, 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 and we do everything in racing that way. We push everything to the very edge for performance and uh, nothing you can't leave anything on the table that might help you run faster and so while you know if they open up a nacoduct in the window you know that's going to create arrow issues for the car and, and change the way the air works on the, it's not as easy as just like hey man just funnel air into the car through nacoducts and so forth it, it that's that that could slow you down that could affect how the air works around the rest of the race car and how the crew chief wants that air to move away or off the car. So it's a, it's a tough thing. They, the more they work to try to get the car to be streamlined and have the air work around the car the way they want it to, it really makes the air inside the car stagnant. There's not a ton of clean air coming in and there's not a lot of air moving in the car. And that just all that air and that, that what's inside the car, the cockpit of the car just continues to to cook and to warm and 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 uh i mean i mean even in the past five or ten years we wouldn't even might we might not even run the heat shields on the car in between the pipes and the and the chassis which that transfers a tremendous amount of heat into the into the roll cage and into the interior of the car and uh you'd have to maybe request to to the team hey could this is, uh, it's going to be a 95 degree day. You'd think we could put the heat shields on and they will, but they don't go in to preparation with those pieces because it's weight or, or uh, it's going to affect a por- performance some way, somehow. So 
they try to keep those race cars stripped down as, as much as possible. So I, I certainly think that the, uh, the technology will continue to improve. The heat boxes have gotten smaller, lighter. That's all critical to, to performance. And, um, that'll, that, that path will, will, will improve. And, and soon enough, um, one day I'm sure driver comfort won't be an issue. We won't have, you know, races where guys are passing out and having, uh, having a tough time with, with the conditions. You mentioned Atlanta and we got a question, um, from Mike Bost. What was your opinion with everything going on at the end of pit road that happened in, uh, in Atlanta this past weekend? With Bubba? With no, with all the games they were playing for coming off a of pit road for um, oh, to line up oh, on the on the preferred lane. Yep, you know that's kind of something that's been going on for a long time. The until the drivers are given a cone, you know, a cone rule, or or until teams are allowed to have lane choice beyond the front row and and the starter, of the rest, you know, the controller of the restart guys are going to have to decide, do I want to be on the inside? Do I want to be on the outside? And then they're going to have to count and look around at the cars around them on pit road and, and decide, do I need to be in front of this guy to be on that, to restart on in the proper lane? To me as a driver, it's a pain in the butt. It's not a lot of fun having to play those games. They don't want to play those games. Um, drivers, really, be honest with you, they only want to race. Uh, run around the track, run the fastest lap, take the lead, win the race. That's all we really care about. We don't want to do fuel mileage. Thankfully, we don't have to. Thankfully, there's an engineer to do that. We don't want to have to really try to set the car up ourselves. Um, luckily, we've got crew chiefs and engineers. We like, to pull, we like to participate in that. But, I mean, we don't want to do things outside of that sort of central focus of just being quick and being fast and having raw speed and great ability. Uh, so these, you know, playing games or doing anything that's sort of gimmicky. Um, I remember when fuel mileage was becoming even more and more critical, so much so that when we would start the car, gentlemen, start your engines, crank the car. Okay, turn it off because we need to save fuel. Wait till the pace car moves off pit road to fire it back up. Okay, now the pace laps are happening and we're going to have a green flag, but cycle the fuel, cycle the car so we can save fuel. It's not the race hasn't even started yet, and I'm saving fuel. Uh, we got another 400 miles to go. What? What in the world? We it it that to me was one of the most frustrating things that that I did inside a race car, and playing games off the end of pit road to try to put myself in that right position to do re, you know restart in the right lane is it, it goes in that same box for me. Uh, I'm not a fan of it, but it's a, you have to do it. I mean, if you want to be competitive, have the best opportunity to have the best restart, make the most positions on that restart, you have to do it. You hated that cycling and everything, but it was the best time to be on your radio channel. Golly. <laughs> it was fantastic. I tell them now when they're like, hey, can you save some fuel? I'm like, nope. <laughs> no, <sir. laughs> Radio's uh, breaking up here. Can't can't follow you there, I ain't, I, ain't, I ain't doing that anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's not in the strategy this weekend, huh? Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> all right. Um, a lot of people are asking. We're all kind of in different scenes and what we've been. Um, you know, Mike's obviously in the studio, and people want to know what's the what's the new piece of sheet metal behind you, Mike? Oh yeah. You know what? I just 
just learned about this as I sat down. I think uh, Matthew said, is a Hut Strickland? Uh, Bob, Bobby Hillen. Bobby Hillen. Oh, yeah. Bo- Bobby Hillen. Sheet I don't know where it came from. You know, every time you come into this studio, there's something new here. Um, and that is a fact. I mean, like, you just there's just new things that pile up. That People send stuff to Dell. They end up in the studio now. So, I don't know where where did this come from. Uh, anybody know, Matthew? Uh, I think Dale might. Did, Dale doesn't know. He clearly doesn't know. No, he doesn't know. <laughs> Isn't it great when when she We don't. We don't up? know. Hey, if you sent it to us though, and you're on this, thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. it. Looks great. Means a lot. It is good be, to be back in the studio though. I can't wait for Dale to be back in here. Super jealous. Where's Dale? I'm not in town. He's in a white in in the white room. Yes. The, everything. <laughs> Well, I've got Dale's race car out my window. That's the first thing I saw when I came in this morning. I was like, oh, nice. hey, that has, that has Dale's name on the above the window. That's cool. <laughs> I saw it as well a couple of days ago. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. All right, guys. That's it for today. Hey, everybody. I appreciate y'all tuning in uh, to the Ask Junior portion of the show. Brought to you by Xfinity. They are the premier partner of NASCAR and this podcast. And they're your partner with Fast Internet. So, Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the questions. Great questions. Appreciate you guys supporting our show. Uh, Hope you'll uh, listen to the rest of the podcast. You got to be fast in our sport, and Xfinity knows a thing or two about that. With Xfinity, get blazing fast Wi-Fi without any pit stops. Xfinity X5 delivers the speed, coverage security, and control you need to stay connected to NASCAR and Dirty Mo Media all season long. This is beyond Wi-Fi. This is XFi. Keep your questions rolling in to at Xfinity Racing and at Dirty Mo Media on Twitter using hashtag AskJunior for a chance to have your questions answered by Dale Jr. himself. We're proud to partner with Xfinity, keeping us connected to the sport all season long. Shout out to Xfinity, premier partner of NASCAR. The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy and Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, you, you know, you got to act quick. Yes. And when you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for a business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. Mm. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, guys. So, um... Open segment, man. We there's a lot of things I kind of wanted to talk about, and everybody join in. Uh, let's start right at the top. Ace Speedway. Ace Speedway. It's a racetrack in North Carolina, and it's in the news because it has been defying the orders of Governor Cooper to uh, limit their spectators to 25. I believe it's 25 spectators per event. They've had a couple of races now 
three or, or, or maybe even more where they've had around a guesstimation of 4,000 spectators at each event. Um, they have tried to pose as a peaceful protest um, to circumvent the, the rules. Um, they've had quite a uh, back and forth uh, between, the, the, between Governor Cooper and the, uh, the, the sheriff. There's other local uh, officials uh, that, are, that are either, you know, in support of ACE. Uh, it's been a really interesting and polarizing sort of, uh, sort of a, uh, event over the last several weeks that's happened here in North Carolina. And that has put a big spotlight on the actual races that are happening at ACE Speedway. While, um, while that'll be, you know, it'll be fun and interesting, I think, to see how uh, the, the back and forth and the bit of tug of war goes between a Speedway and the governor and, and the sheriff sort of caught in the middle. Um, it, it, did, it did shine a spotlight on the recent Cars Tour event. And our driver, Josh Berry, has been racing in the Cars Tour for uh, a long time. A lot of wins, uh, champion, I think, in 2007. Uh, another fellow that's been racing in that series who's also won the championship in the last two years, Bobby McCarty. Uh, Bobby's an ag aggressive driver and um, a very good driver. He's with a great team, got a lot of speed, and uh, always a guy that, you know, Josh in, you know, has to compete with or is going to have to compete with at some point in the evening uh, for the race win. So they got into a bit of a dust-up, and in the first uh, – so Josh started a, a mid-pack, somewhere around 16th, 13th, something like that. Didn't qualify well. I think McCarty sat on the, front, uh, sat on the pole, front row, somewhere like that, and he led the uh, majority of the race. Had, had pretty much the race in control the whole time. Josh had drove up to second place, and a caution came out, and they're going to have a restart with about 45 laps to go. So the restart happens with Josh on the outside and Bobby on the inside, and they go down into turn three. So it seems like that from very uh, various points of perspective, whether it's fan videos and, and, or just the, the, tar, the Cars Tour um, broadcast itself, that Bobby didn't, go, Bobby didn't get into turn three the same way that he had or the, or the way that you would expect him to go into the turn. He missed the corner. and. Uh, Josh is on his outside, you know, Josh, you know, Bobby and Josh are almost door to door and contact was made. It sent Josh into the outside wall hard enough to really, really hurt the car. Uh, but Josh was able to continue on in the race. So Josh, um, you know, Josh has had a run-in with Bobby in the past, and other drivers have as well. And um, at Motor Mile Speedway uh, in 2019, Josh had this, a similar situation happen where he had control of the race, led pretty much the, the majority of the laps, driving away to a win. Late race yellow comes out to set up a green-white checkered. Bobby gets the opportunity to get underneath Josh and drove down in the corner and dumped Josh. Josh gave him plenty of room. Bobby missed the corner, drove into the door of, the, of, of Josh's car, and spun him out. Um, and, the, and 
I can put that blame on Bobby because this is a consistent sort of habit that Bobby has. And I'll, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read from some comments from the race winner at Ace Speedway. Ryan Millington. Ryan Millington. So Ryan Millington, he, get, he wins the race, and, and he's asked in victory lane about, uh, about the incident with Josh Berry and, and Bobby. And he goes, look, Bobby McCarty is a great race car driver, and he wins a lot of races, but it seems like every three or four races, guys are racing him for the win, and they wreck off of him. He needs to do something different because he has a lot of people pissed off. And so, and Josh even said after this race at Ace this past weekend that a majority of the garage either came up to him personally or reached out to him via text to support what he had done. Um, so this is uh, well, building. Explain what, explain what he did. Really, I'm going for the fans to. Listening yeah, I'm going yeah. to. I'm going to get there. I thought I figured we'd leave that part out, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> I um. So, so this is how this has all sort of been boiling over and building up, right? It's not just Josh getting getting dumped at Motor Mile last year. It's other events and other things going on that sort of put this cloud or this this. Per, this perception of Bobby being a, a bit dirty, too aggressive. Then, you know, they have the accident in the middle part of the race um, where it looks like Bobby didn't do a good job of trying to get down in the corner the right way, ended up driving in there and driving up and, and running Josh into the fence. So Josh is five laps down. Bobby is winning the race, coming up on about five laps to go. Bobby's going to win. Millington is 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 fading and even said in his post race that he had he had settled for second. Bobby uh Josh is making it real hard for Bobby to get around him. Almost daring him to dump him again, daring him to run over Josh's car again. So Bobby finally goes to the outside or goes to the inside of Josh into turn 3. Josh maneuvers around behind Bobby's car stands in the gas, spins Bobby down the front straightaway into the inside wall. Millington goes on to, to win the race. Bobby uh, gets out of his car, declines interview. Uh, I think he did give some post-race comments to, to a few people afterwards, but initially to the broadcast, he, he, he declined interview. Um, and Josh was parked uh, by the officials. So Josh intentionally – uh, went out there and wrecked Bobby at the end of that race. And, you know, that I, I was uh, – my, my initial reaction, I was texting back and forth with LW, who is – me and LW, this is, our, this is our baby, this late model program. LW um, Miller. Yep. LW Miller is my sister's husband, and we're sort of – you know, we're sort of brothers in arms when it comes to this, this late model stock program we're, we're partners and he's been a big part of it for many many years and so i'm texting him and i said i think uh i just started seeing the glimpse of josh's car out in front of the leaders and i said josh is the next car to get lapped and then lw said josh won't do anything and i was like man you don't think because i really felt like enough was enough at that point i had had i had had enough and i was hoping that josh would send a message mm. you know, and 
what is that message? What did I hope Josh would do? I didn't, I didn't even know that in my own mind. <laughs> um, but you want, jo- you want Josh to stand up to anything like that, you know, and you have to. When, when, on the racetrack, if you let guys push you around over and over and over, and if it's particularly the same person, they're going to continue that every time they get around you. And they're going to take advantage of that kindness or whatever you want, however you want. They're going to take advantage of that part of your personality. And it's one thing if Josh, if Josh is just going out there and dumping people for no reason at all. Now that's, that's not okay. But what Josh is doing in this situation in my mind was putting his foot down and Josh even admitted it. And I told Josh after the race, I said, you hate, you hate that it has to come to that. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to have to do that to anybody. But sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes you're put in the position of, I'm just going to keep allowing Bobby McCarty to, to, to run over me, to, to, to force me offline into the fence, to, to take advantage of me every time we're around each other. It's already, in my opinion, cost Josh the last two championships. Uh, the spin and the wreck at motor mile that right there, Josh would have won the championship easily had Bobby not been so aggressive at certain points in the season, because I feel like that Bobby knew that was probably the only way he was going to beat Josh. He, he didn't have the speed that, that the, that the 88 car had. And at this point, I don't know that he still has it. So you're saying it cost Josh championships. Did Bobby win them? Did, yes. did Bob, Bobby won the champion. Okay. Now I'm getting a better understanding of kind of the feud here, the boiling yeah. up. Got it. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm, I didn't want to bring Josh on here on the show. You know, it's going to be one sided enough with just me talking about it as the owner of Josh's car. I didn't want to bring Josh on the show and, and continue to, to gang up on Bobby. Um, but I have an opinion and I have a podcast and I, and I <laughs> I'm going to, share that opinion. Um, if anything, it would be fair to have them both on the show to be able to give Bobby the opportunity to speak uh, his, his opinion. And I think, Matthew, you've, you've read a lot of the comments that Bobby has, has had since the post-race, and you can probably share maybe where he's coming from after all this, is, uh, after all this has happened. Yeah, I was actually very surprised. Uh, yesterday, um, Speed51.com had both Bobby – and then later on, Josh on their program, Morning Bullring. And, um, you know, I expected Bobby to have a little vigor and have a little uh, salt to his, uh, his quotes, especially after hearing Josh, you know, admit to that it was on purpose. And uh, he didn't. He handled it pretty classy. I have to give uh, Bobby that and, um, you know, saying that he feels it's over. Well, what did he say? Josh does, uh, that he thinks it's over and that Josh did what he had to do. Um, and that he's not going to further anything. So, and, um, you know, McCarty's guys, he's a little rough on the racetrack. We've all seen it in the past few years, but off the racetrack, he, he is a very admirable, um, you know, human being, it seems, and, and carries himself well, as does Josh. I mean, this is, like you said, this is so out of Josh Berry's character. Yeah. And that's why I was so surprised that he got suspended for it because, you know, this is so out of character for both guys. I don't see either of those guys continuing this in a fashion of we see at Bowman Gray or we see other stuff where people are junking each other's stuff. You know, there was words. Everybody gets emotional. But you're talking about Bobby McCarty, who's a rough race car driver, but very, very respectful. 
who I don't see him doing anything out of character more than he's done, which is race people, maybe arguably a little too rough, but he's not a guy that goes out there and just usually dumps people. And Josh Berry, let's just be honest. I'm going to be honest and I'm sorry, Josh, but I think Josh Berry has been a pushover most of his career. I think he's a great race car driver that gets pushed around too much and doesn't do anything about it. And when I saw that at ACE in that cars race that he kind of pushed back, yeah. I was proud of him as, as a, as a friend and somebody who's close here with junior motorsports. And I didn't think, you know, and I want your take on this, obviously as a car owner, you know, I, I know, you know, it hurts to have your car suspended, but you know, for me, it's like, what are they doing, man? They could have sold tickets and you're not talking about two hot heads. Why the hell suspend the guy? And talk about that. Well, I, that's such a great point, Matthew. Um, the suspension. So Josh is suspended for a race he has to, uh, you know, he has to miss this weekend's event at, at Hickory, a track that he runs really, really well at. Unreal. I didn't even think about it. So I assumed the suspension was coming. We had, really? Me and, oh, yeah. Me and LW are already talking about drivers to put in the car. Um, I wanted to call up Setzer um, and see if he'd drive it. What, uh, old man Setzer? No. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. He's He's – He's a he's a little firecracker man. Yes, he's good. Um, and he's great at Hickory. Uh, so I wanted to do that, but it was uh, through Josh and the sponsor and a few other people involved. They we I think that at this point I believe we've decided not to run the car at all, um, which is uh, disappointed because I'm a racer. I like to race. I want to go win. And why? What? What? Why? Why are we running it? I don't. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to figure that out. That's a great question. I mean, it's it's still a bit of a discussion. Okay. In my mind, I would put the car on the racetrack just to compete because we, cause we can, we, you know. Um, but I feel like to, there's – well, there's also if Josh – Josh is prideful. You know, that's, that car is not a, a, not a tool, not, not, some, not a hammer you loan to your friend. That car is a family member. That car is a, a part of you, and, and, and it's not something that you, you – it, it, one of the toughest things to do is to see someone else driving that car in competition. Um, not an easy thing for Josh to do, you know, even though I'm, I'm, a, I'm the owner and I want to go out there and I want to win and I want to race and I want to keep digging Josh emotionally, that would be difficult for him to see someone else racing the car. So, and maybe the sponsor, you know, we, we have allowed all things automotive to, to have some input as well. Um, and uh, iRacing is uh, in the conversation, but uh, and we'll see where it goes. It might. It's. I don't know if that's the final des- decision on us not racing at all. But we have already. I mean, I'm just trying to say. My point is, is that before the suspension, we were already considering about what drivers we might put in the car should we go race. So I knew the suspension was coming. But w- Matthew, you're totally correct. Why would you suspend Josh when that? But you would. You would sell. 2,000 maybe more tickets to this race uh, blowing up that rivalry. Yes. And pissing off Roy Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good point. That's, that's the other thing that makes Ace so interesting, man. Yeah. You know, Dale, you were talking about that, you know, and you get that Lieutenant Governor, Mark Robinson, uh, you know, the excuse me, the Republican that's trying to be Lieutenant Co- Governor, Mark Robinson, adamantly and vehemently uh, going against uh, um, uh, Cooper, uh, the governor, uh, and taking a stand and you have that sheriff. It's like something out of a 
movie. Yeah. The sheriff is not enforcing the law and has his own opinions on it. And, and then the track is holding these events. You're only supposed to have 25 people at them and they're having thousands And the track now said it's a peaceful protest for inequality and injustice everywhere. Uh, that's their little sign they had out front. And I, I talked to a lot of people in my racing circle that actually attended uh, just to prove a point um, of, of freedom uh, to be able to assemble. Uh, you know, and it's just such an interesting time in our history. You know, Mike, I, I, I'd love to know Mike and Dale, your takes on that, but you know, obviously it gets so political, you know, yeah. but uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. Well, before that, I got questions. All right. All right. So f- first of all, Dale, Matthew said that Josh has been a pushover. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you did not think that he would retaliate when, when it happened. Uh, and is it because that he has been pushed around for the bulk of his career? I knew well. Josh's past history was not to not to take that you know not to take aggressive action against his drivers that that have done this to him in the past. And at this point in the race, he had had I don't know thirty forty five minutes to stew, think about it. You know, to think about whether he wanted to forfeit basically forfeit his season because as soon as you do that, you not only have you lost the points because of the crash, because, you know, he's five laps down, it's off a points, points race at ace, but he's also potentially putting himself in a situation to be suspended, which he has. So that's basically – that's the end of the year for him. He's not got a shot at winning championship. That so was he, my next question. Is what were the consequences of the suspension in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the championships? You're saying it's over. Oh, it's over. So that's the other thing, too. Um, Josh Berry gets interviewed after the race – and they said, they, they said, this is this over? Is, is, are you, do you feel like things are, 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 are good between you and Bobby beyond this point? And he said, no. He said, that spin on the front straightaway was for tonight. I still owe him for last year. Ooh. And so, Ooh. in Josh's mind, it's not over. And I don't really know if I believe Bobby. If Bobby truly f- was conveying, Matthew, that, that he, thinks it's over and that he doesn't plan on retaliating. I'm not sure that I believe that because I just know I've watched these car store races for long enough and watched Bobby race and know that he can't help himself when he gets into those situations uh, on those critical restarts. And, and I just don't, I don't, I'll believe it when I see it and I want him to prove me wrong. I really do. And, uh, I don't list. I do not dislike Bobby's style. All right, because I mean, you got to have guys that are aggressive. It ain't. It ain't, ain't going to be any fun to watch if you don't have guys out there willing to lean on each other. But it keeps happening to my car, so that's the only problem I have with it. Anyways, Dale, if you would, right, it seemed to me in, in the in the interview that Josh gave after the race that he already knew that he was going to be suspended. I don't know if he was told that. I don't know if he assumed it. My question, though, with the consequences being the championship, you wanted him to retaliate and stand up for himself. If you would have known that he was going to be suspended and risk the championship, do you still feel that way? Would you have still felt that way? Um, Yeah. You know, I feel like like that last year we got wrecked at Motor Mile – we, I mean, I'm, I, I know that it is a fair point to argue that 
that we didn't get wrecked or that you could, you could watch that run, that wreck at motor mile. You could watch that clip and you could defend either side. I got my opinion and it is that we got dumped at motor mile. We got used up. We had control of the race and he took that race away from Josh and didn't even give us the opportunity to, to run second or third. We ended up, up, you know, turned around. So, we had to spend the rest of the year swallowing our pride because we still had a shot at the championship. We had to spend the rest of the year trying to, you know, trying to win, keep our nose clean. We couldn't handle Bobby. We couldn't deal with Bobby. We couldn't, we couldn't go dump Bobby. Uh, we had to keep focusing on the title. And that's not, as, that's not fun. That's not fun when you have to you – got, you got done wrong and you got to ignore it. And because there's another, there's a prize that you have to focus on or something else that's, that's bigger, right? It okay. Fast. That's okay. You know, we didn't win a championship. Bobby won a championship and we'll try again this year. Well, here we are early in the season, dumped, dumped and spun around by Bobby, lost a lot of points. We're going to do what we did last year again. We're going to mm. swallow our pride and, and, and march on down the road to try to win a championship without taking care of this problem. And so you get pushed into a situation where you have to, you know, you have to say, okay, championship is just not important to me right now. Trying not to get wrecked by Bobby every, every five races or every 10 races. It's kind of like a bully, you know, like in school, like I got bullied as a kid, Mike. We'll and, get and, to, it is becoming yeah. that if you continue to allow it. You know, I don't think proud is the right word because what Josh did to intention, he intentionally crashed that guy and took that win, you know, took him out of the opportunity to win that race. And that's nothing for me to be proud of. I hate that Josh had to do it, but it had to be done. It's hard to articulate why that needed to happen, but it did. Mm, that's interesting. That's interesting. What would you say, what would either of you guys say to someone who would make the argument that you can take care of that situation without jeopardizing your championship? In other words, off the track, a lot of drivers are, you know, left in the position of having to stick up for themselves, but they don't do it with the car and they don't do it during a race. They do it in the, you know, in the garage or whatever. What's your response to that? Could that have been an option? Yeah. I mean, I, that's one thing that I don't know. I don't know the, I don't know the culture uh, between the two teams, whether Bobby is the kind of guy that you could sit down with and have that kind of a conversation and, and really get some serious, you know, have a serious effect on how he drives. So I don't know. I mean, you would try that. And that's typically what, that, what guys are trying to do at the cup level and uh, Xfinity level is, is have conversations to sort of, you know, you can't, you know, tearing cars up on the national television and, ruining your shot at a reasonable finish is a big deal at that level. But at the short track ranks, it typically does, you know, those conversations typically don't happen. They've had a few in the past though. Yeah. After Martinsville, you know, Josh called uh, Bobby and and spoke about how, you know, the few times he got into him, he just bounced off the curb and and they've had some talk before. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Okay. Okay. And, and, you know, Josh has said that and Bobby has said that, you know, because they've both been cordial about it through some, you know, incidents between them. Yeah. And it just seemed like it hit the breaking point. Well, yeah, that would explain it then. If, 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 if Josh has gone down and tried that option and, you know, multiple times and it's not getting him anywhere, then you have to, uh, 
raise the stakes a little bit. How old is Bobby? Is Bobby a, an old man? Is he a kid? I mean, like, we're, we're, he's young. Is he? Is he? He's young. Yeah, okay. he's probably around Josh's age. If I had to guess, what do you think, Dale? Like, yeah, I don't know not, his actual age, but yeah, he might be a little older than Josh. But they're not. Yeah, they're not old men like okay. us. Okay. <laughs> well, Josh has to sit out a week, and I can't wait to see what happens the next time they get on the racetrack together. I don't think it's over with. Mm. Uh, and, and what are you going to tell Josh? Are, you don't think it's over with. Are you going to get a, give him advice on this from the owner standpoint? Or are you staying no. out of it? I only give him advice in the post-race. <laughs> Once he's messed up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to be the one to influence him into doing something he doesn't want to do. Sure. I'm not going to give him any direct orders. And that ain't – Josh is a grown man and can make his own decisions, and he needs to make them. And he needs to know that I support him. And every time that he's done anything on the racetrack or in a post-race interview, whether it's good or bad, I'll get on the phone. I've always gotten on the phone with him and shared my opinion. And sometimes we agree, sometimes maybe we don't agree. But I'm always going to be in his corner. He's a good racer. You know, he's a good, clean racer. He doesn't use people up too bad. I could, I could see that pretty clearly if he was doing that, but he's not. And, uh, you know, I feel pretty confident in if he's got amazing speed and, and such a driven attitude. And I love to see him go to the racetrack and compete because I know we're always going to have a shot at winning and we're always going to be in the mix. And it makes it so much fun as an owner. But I'm looking forward to him getting back on the track and just seeing how this all plays out with McCarty the rest of the season because Josh, Josh doesn't have a championship to run for now. He has nothing to lose. He doesn't have to worry about points or, you know, mm. getting getting you know wiping himself out and losing a lot of points and causing himself any harm in the championship because he's out of the championship battle. So he can go race hard, win races, be aggressive, change the game for him a little bit, and I, I think that's in his favor. Yeah. Well, what is Josh Berry uh, like when he has nothing to lose? That'll be something to, to to pay attention to. And it's interesting, by the way, Dale. I. Like I've never really seen you take this position, but you know what I'm what I'm gathering is that drivers know, and only drivers can know where that balance or where that line of being stupid and and then having no other option is. Yeah. I can't I can't tell. I, it wouldn't be me, and it's not even you for Josh. But what you're able to do is say, I understand that a driver reaches that point where he has no other options, and so you're letting Josh make that decision for himself and you aren't going to interfere with that because of what he, he has established, the credibility as a good, clean racer. If he hadn't, you know, you've jumped in a lot of times like this year with Noah Gragson when he turned Myatt and, and, yeah. and you know, things like that. You know, uh, Noah hadn't necessarily earned all that cred uh, as, as that driver yet. He's too young and everything. So, but Josh has done it. So this is interesting. It's a dynamic between a driver and his competition on when it's time to kiss the championship goodbye and, and, and handle your business. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to handle your business. O'Reilly Auto Parts, man, they are in the business of keeping your car on the road. They offer friendly and helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. You know the jingle? Oh, yeah. We're going to do the jingle at the end of this. Nice. I all can't right? wait for it. Yeah. So listen. Listen to the end. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find just the right battery for your car. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. 
Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you'll find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're knowledgeable, helpful, and best of all, they're friendly. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto. Do it yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com. That's O'ReillyAuto.com. O'Reilly's Auto Parts. Ow! (laughs) (laughs) You better put that in there. All right, man, let's move on to Nashville Super Speedway. Nashville Speedway, whatever it's called. Um, You're about to handle some business now. (laughs) Well, there's a difference. (laughs) Well, all right. Nashville has two racetracks, and one is the Nashville Fairgrounds, which is a half-mile speedway, which has been around for decades, an incredible, fun racetrack, similar to to Bristol, wore-out asphalt, has had a lot of historical events there, still continuing to race there in super late models and so forth. Maybe most famous for being a track where Darrell Walter earned uh, learned his craft, Marty Robbins. Um, just a lot of names came out of there. I drove there myself. My dad raced there. I have been a big fan of that track and us racing at that track for a long time. And as our tr- as our sport was growing. Uh, nationally and new tracks were being built we moved away from the short tracks you know we had a lot of short tracks on the schedule at one point uh in the 80s and 90s and and more of those dropped away and the mile and a half were were getting built and more of those were showing up on the schedule and now we're sort of starting to see maybe we we need to move back in the other direction maybe we need to get a better ratio of variable, you know, various types of racetracks in our schedule, and we have maybe a bit of an overload of the mile and a half uh, cookie cutter track. So that's kind of where we're at. So I've been a big fan of us looking at Nashville Fairgrounds as a track to add to our schedule. There's a lot of problems with trying to make that happen, uh, particularly with the facility itself, the fairgrounds, uh, which is owned by the city and the residents in the area. Uh, wanting to put up with that noise, uh, the local government wanting to see the right person involved in bringing racing, bringing NASCAR back to to Nashville Fairgrounds. How that money is going to be spent, where that money is coming from. There's just there a there are some almost impossible hurdles to get us back to the fairgrounds. I understand that. I know it's not just as easy as us signing a deal and showing up. A lot of upgrades have to happen to that racetrack. Like I said, the property's going through this huge renovation. They're trying to bring in a soccer team, and that whole complex is going to change. And the speedway itself is trying to stay, is trying to coexist in that plan. It's trying not to be dismantled or or, or wiped off, uh, wiped off the property. And they, you know, there's been a lot of pushback from fans of racing in that area, and you know, the, the local government and so forth. There's just been a lot of tug of war that's been going on. So I, I say that so you understand that going us physically going to the fairgrounds is going to be a hard thing to put together. With that said, Marcus Smith uh, has been doing a lot of hard work trying to position himself as somebody who could come in and renovate the racetrack and get it ready, do what needs to be done to bring NASCAR back to the fairgrounds. He's made a lot of 
hard effort. And we ended up going to Nashville over the last couple, last year with our banquet. We moved the banquet, the NASCAR banquet from Vegas to Nashville. And it was a great fit. It's a fun town. Uh, you know, we have some great history in that town. And so it was a good fit. When, when we would go to, you know, Vegas, obviously we race in Vegas, but when we would go out to Vegas, the banquet was a lot of fun. We had, you had the casinos and we had a great run out there, you know, but things, you have to move things around. You have to change things around every once in a while. And it was time to, to maybe do this in a different part of the country and add a little new energy to the banquet. We're trying to celebrate our champion. So we went to Nashville and it worked. That to me was going to really be a positive and a plus toward us getting racing back in Nashville. If we're there with our banquet to celebrate our champion, I knew in my heart of hearts that this meant racing in Nashville was the next step, that it was going to happen. And I began to get nervous because I knew the hurdles that were going to be a, the, a big challenge for getting us to the fairgrounds. And I knew that Nashville Speedway, which is about an hour out of town, owned by Dover Speedway Corporation, is sitting, sitting there. Uh, and it hadn't been used since 2011. Now, they've, they've been some testing and so forth on that track. I've drove on it in the in, uh, last several years to test and so forth. So, I mean, the track... It's sitting there, and I thought to myself, oh, Lord, please, let, don't, don't do this. Don't go to the Speedway as a, as a sort of makeshift attempt to, be, to, to bring NASCAR to Nashville. I'm not a huge fan of that racetrack for a lot of reasons. Um, number one, it's not the fairgrounds, um, but it's concrete. It, 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 it wasn't an exciting race for the most part. When they had races there, attendance wasn't all that great. It's not close to Nashville. It's, a, it's an hour away. Um, I've got people that live in Nashville telling me that they're not driving out there. How big is it? Lengthwise? It's a mile and it's 1.3 miles or something like that. I thought it was a tick under a mile, but yeah. maybe I'm wrong. So no, I think I'll it's bigger than a mile. It it's bigger. It, it, it drives bigger than a mile. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So it feels like a, a speedway. It's a speedway for sure. It's, it's a big D-shaped do dog leg. I mean, it's no different than any other mile and a half that we put on. It. And, and the fact that it's concrete, good Lord, they're going to PJ one that thing to death. I'm just so frustrated because, you know, I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong here. I want this to work. I want it to be successful. I don't want bad things for NASCAR. I don't want this to fail. I just wanted something completely different. One and one third mile. You're right, Dale. One and one third mile. So, I wanted something completely different than this. And I was afraid that this is what we were going to get. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of, you know what? It's kind of like you got that one toy that you really want for Christmas. You know, your friends are going to get it, your buddy next door. And you open the package and it's an off brand. Mm, yeah. It's not the toy that you wanted and your buddy's got it and all your other friends got it, but you've got this other thing. You got this off brand that's not the thing, man. Right. I'm telling you, man, I know this is going to upset some of my some of the my friends in NASCAR that are working really hard to make this happen and I know that this isn't I, I appreciate that effort. I appreciate the work. I'm just have to be honest with my feelings about it. And uh that's that's how I feel. I just 
I don't know. And, and let's I'll... just say, I mean, so it was an announcement this week of the whole schedule for next year. That's what you're reacting to is that they announced they're going back to Nashville, but it's Nashville Speedway. Yeah. That, I think that's obvious, but, but, I, and it's a four year plan, I believe. Yeah. Oh, is it? I didn't four hear years, that. Yeah. So we're going back to the concrete, you know, monstrosity that you have been loathing. And you had had a suspicion. Is that accurate, Dale? that you, you were worried about it. What made you worried that this was going to happen? I just knew how hard it was going to be for us to go to the fairground and knew how much work needed to be done to create that relationship with the local government and the project of uh, the fairgrounds itself, the renovation project. I just knew that in Marcus being involved. So you got, so Marcus owns a lot. I, I won't say half, but owns a lot of the racetracks in the series and NASCAR owns other racetracks in the series, right? And so I, I guess I should have known this was what was going to happen because Marcus was going to need more time. We weren't going to be able to get to Nashville Fairgrounds next year, maybe not even in 2022. So Marcus was going to need no, more time, you know, but this puts us at the concrete track for four years. Um, so I don't know if that means now if Nashville Fairgrounds ever happens, it's going to be four years from now. I mean, I just don't even know. It really puts Nashville Fairgrounds, to me, the opportunity of that really, really becoming reality, it puts it at an even lesser percent. And I'm, I'm frustrated with that because there's people out there like Jim Utter and a couple other people that will say point blank, Fairgrounds is never happening. Never. Baloney. All right. And, and, and that's fine. Okay, I'm, 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 you know, that's fine to have that opinion, but I don't want to, I didn't want to give up on the fairgrounds happening. I really wanted to believe that it, something could come together. And this just really puts that on the back burner. It's, it's, what is it about the fairground speedway that's made this your mission? Uh, and, 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 you know, you, we've talked a bunch about it on this show, frankly, yeah. and I've never even asked that question. And I wonder myself why I've never seen a race there. What is it about fairground speedway that makes this such a priority for you? It's a short track. We need to add at least one. I would argue more than one short track to our schedule. And when you're wanting, when you're going to make such a major change like adding a track or taking a track away from the schedule, you need to make sure that you're adding something better that you're doing. You're, you don't go, you're not going there just because of the location, just because of the, the geographical location that you want to be in that city. You want to add a racetrack that's better. That's going to add a pro, you know, a good product, a good, a good experience for the fans. I feel like the short track uh, would offer exciting racing. And we have a history there at that racetrack. And, you know, Cup Series used to run there in the 70s and the 80s. Also, it is in Nashville where we – Xfinity Series until 2000-something. I mean yeah. – It's in Nashville where we celebrate our champion. If we got an agreement with them for a couple of years, and I think we should continue that, it's been a, it was a great fit for us. You know, we should be racing there, right? And that's why they went, you know, if they couldn't go to the fairgrounds, that's why they went to the concrete track. They want to be in Nashville because they're celebrating their champion there. But to me, this just would have, you know, and if, it, it can't happen next year. That's fine. It can't happen next year. You know, maybe NASCAR's intentions are to go to the fairgrounds one day. They love to be at the fairgrounds one day. But um, 
I feel like I would have rather had no Nashville at all and waited for the fairgrounds to eventually happen than to go to this concrete track. That's just my opinion. I saw Matt Weaver. He tweeted that he had been told that the National Super Speedway decision is meant to judge and encourage Tennessee and Nashville officials to invest in the fairgrounds in hopes of having a race there. Mm. But then he went on to say it doesn't change the fact that literally no one wanted a D-shaped concrete intermediate. Perfect. That is perfect. And I agree with that 100%. I, I read that same comment, and my feeling is that if this fails, which it has – Oh yeah. It has a potential to not work. It could work against, it could work against our, if that's their strategy, you know, is to encourage the local government and so forth to, that we need to be at the fairgrounds. This could work against them because it could add ammo to the argument that Nashville, you know, people aren't going to come. People aren't going to show up. People aren't going to get interested in, in us being there and hurt the cause, I guess is. That's what Chase Elliott said too. Did you see his tweet about it? He quote tweeted uh, Matt's tweet said one snooze fest at that joint will put the nail in the coffin of the fairgrounds. Bummer. Oh, that listen, right that's on. a huge point then. That's in a huge point. If you think it's going to, uh, you know, retract. And, and is that how you feel, by the way, Dale? Is it, is it the, all the work that Marcus has been doing to try to get us back? Do you feel like it's sort of going around his back and, and, and circumventing all of the effort that he's put forth in the last year or two? Unintentionally, probably, yeah. I think NASCAR has the best intentions, but I feel like that that could. It's definitely not this. I don't feel. I can't feel in my heart that this is working in favor for the fairgrounds. Nothing about this gives me that feeling. And uh, I, I, I swear, I want to be wrong. I don't know. I think the the more you can have something, the more you want it. That's part of this. But I still feel like that if we, if cup racing was planted at the fairgrounds, it would it would succeed, and it would become. You know, it would become a successful stop on the tour. And our relationship with the town and our relationship and our ability to be able to celebrate in that town, you know, celebrate our champion and our sport, would it mean even more? Knowing the context now behind how passionate you are behind this and why you've done a good job explaining that makes me now realize that the way that it was announced this past week, there would have probably been this uh, disingenuous, whatever I'm trying to say, almost like they're trumpeting the return to Nashville with the trumpets. And I could see how that would have rubbed you wrong. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, like. No one asked for this. Right. Right. And I'm trying to think of a good analogy on how, what that would be like when, well, I guess you gave it. It's when you have been told, uh, you know, you're getting GI Joes for Christmas and you end up with GI Johns, uh, the <laughs> off market brand of military toys. And you're like, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> right. Not the same. This is your drive this Corvette, drive this, this Corvette. You're right. going to drive this Corvette. Oh, wait, hold on. It's a Ford Pinto. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, this isn't Cobra Commander, it's Cobra Captain. And now we're like, wait, whoa, not the same. Not the same. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, hey. Elizabeth is looking for suggestions on where to get a tomato pie, if anybody, on next door. <laughs> I didn't even know what I didn't even, I didn't even know what a tomato pie is. Uh, a pie with tomatoes, I guess. Sounds it, like a very southern thing. It's like a pizza. Wait, isn't that a pizza? 
Right. It could be right. That's so funny though. And you would have to listeners, you would have to listen to the last couple episodes to understand why this is funny. <laughs> uh, Was it urgent or just not urgent, not urgent, <laughs> okay. not urgent. Get, get so, back to Elizabeth. When she's you not can. hungry yet, but at noon it'll be an, an urgent message. Yeah. Next door is an app. One of the supporters of our show. And, and uh, I joined the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> you get these insane, like they're, they're actually just quite, innocent but they're just when you pop up on your phone you read them you're like man okay what's going on in the neighborhood somebody's looking for a tomato pie (laughs) nascar history and heritage come alive at the nascar hall of fame celebrate my fellow inductees donnie allison jimmy johnson and chad canals with their class of 2024 artifacts enshrined in the hall of honor Don't miss the Ford Performance Showcase. It's a new inside NASCAR exhibit that showcases the Ford Mustang's next-gen car through its design and innovation. The latest edition of Glory Road explores over 75 years of racing history with its cool 33-degree banking and 19 cars on display. On Mondays and Fridays, there's guided tours that take you behind the scenes with incredible stories and access to a NASCAR Hall of Fame insider. Or you can explore the hall at your own pace with the new mobile hub. It's a digital experience. Get behind the wheel of a realistic iRacing simulator. Or you can learn how fast-paced pit stops work with the Pit Crew Challenge. From the legends who shaped the sport to the new heroes earning a spot in the record books, the NASCAR Hall of Fame delivers an unforgettable experience. Book your visit to the hall today at nascarhall.com. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this weekend in NASCAR, in my opinion, you know, between the podcast last week, I wasn't a part of it. I was a fan. I listened. It was uh, educational um, to hear Bubba's perspective. And, you know, for me, I'm an outsider in that show because I wasn't producing it. Schultz was filling in and I was, I, I loved it. And, um, and then to sit down in my living room and see what our sport did in reaction to current events made me very proud it would to me coming back on the show it'd be a tragedy if i didn't ask the two of you who were in that conversation with bubba what your perspectives were when you watched that race and watched steve phelps's message and our sport's message to the world well one thing that i was really uh, happy about is the the driver message was created by the drivers you know five or, or even five or two, three years ago, if anything like that would have happened, it likely would have been from encouragement of the organization, the industry, NASCAR itself. Um, oh, so it wasn't? You guys came up with that? Jimmy Johnson and Bubba, they organized the the video. They got together with the drivers and created a text chain to offer the opportunity for the drivers to be involved. And then we all would read the message in our own words and we would send that to Jimmy and Jimmy used, uh, Jimmy had some production help uh, to be able to edit that together. And so, and then we went to NASCAR or Jimmy went to NASCAR and, and had them, you know, leverage putting it onto the broadcast. So uh, they also had their own and their own things that they wanted to do, which Phelps did. So there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things good about that pre-race, uh, but they were coming from uh, genuine spaces, you know, and, and, and I was so proud to see Jimmy 
and the drivers all want to do that, want to get involved and want to create their own message. Uh, and that I'm so, you know, I was glad that it didn't come from, it wasn't an idea passed down to them by the industry, uh, which is something that probably would have been, that would have been the norm in the past now. So that was, that was what I found most inspirational about the whole thing. I kind of like the fact that uh, if you, if you go back to our Bubba Wallace conversation, I think we sort of were privy to the root system because Bubba said right off the, right off the jump that he and Jimmy had been on a phone conversation and we asked him a little bit about what were they talking about? And he said, Jimmy had questions. And so he gave us a little bit of insight into that and then seeing sort of how that manifest in a week, was pretty interesting to me uh, because I did, cause you know, I know that it was Jimmy and Bubba that did it, but Jimmy really was the one that felt the conviction to go do this. This was his response. And he was sort of trying to figure out how to respond at the point when Bubba was talking to us. I thought that was interesting. And I have, you know, to answer your question, Matthew, I have been, I gotta be, I'd be lying if I said I've been like seeking out the responses to the, uh, to, to, to that episode, because frankly, for the same reasons that we said on the episode that, you know, I'm not going out seeking out that stuff. Bubba goes out and seeks out affirmation from people on this topic. But frankly, um, I just find myself being let down when I go to social media these days. Uh, Dale and I've had conversations about this offline and I, you know, I, I, I did catch a couple of uh, industry comments. I know that, uh, you know, we had some colleagues that came back and said, wow, you know, that conversation was really in, enlightening and, and it helped us. And so that's great. It ha- that's wonderful. But if you, if you were able to take off blinders and, and see anything, you could see that that was just us trying to come to terms with it ourselves and Dale led that whole thing. I, you know, I, I came in and, and basically sat in on the zoom, but Dale, you were the one that put all that together. So for, for that, you know, the industry comments, that's been nice. We'll see how it uh, transpires. I mean, you know, I don't know even if our country has even is, is any better off this week than it was last week, frankly, but at least you see, you know, some activity from our industry and, if, if anybody has a problem with it, the good news for me is I'm not out looking for it and I try to close myself off from it. Yeah. I won't be surprised if we see that message continue, that particular specific message continue to live on and how our sport promotes itself going forward. So um, I'm glad the drivers did it. I'm glad I had the opportunity or, uh, to, to be a part of it. The drivers weren't always as open to speak, you know, in the past. and I'm so thankful that everybody jumped on board and um, that's so good to see that progress and, and, and our guys understanding that they need to, to be a voice here. But you know, what's interesting about that is Bubba calls them out about that. I mean, he, and I wouldn't even say he beat around the bush a little bit. He literally said he called out people by name on our show. And I know he also did other media interviews I didn't actually watch them, so maybe he did it in those as well. But I know on our show, he called people out by names. Hey, you're a big name in this sport. You carry a lot of influence. You should be doing more about this topic and not even apologizing for it. Yeah, that's, that of, of the many reasons why I'm thankful for Bubba Wallace is because he put that pressure on him and uh, said, hey, you guys are my buddies. You got to have my back on this. 
you know, it's one thing to have that in your heart, but um, I need you to speak up, you know? And so I don't know that we'll ever be able to, to repay Bubba for, for what he's been for us in the past several, several days. I don't think we'll ever be able to measure the value in that. And so, uh, you know, we just got to keep our, you know, we just got to, we just got to look after him because he's got a lot on his, he's got a lot on his mind. And that was evident when he got out of the car, he felt like that that was all from a mental, the mental pressure of past several days, which is incredible to imagine. Said he felt pretty good physically when he got out of the car. That was scary. Very scary. I was watching that live and I, I was very, very concerned for his health, you know, his health in that moment. That was frightening to see. We hear about those things uh, from drivers from time to time, but to see it in real time like that, and he was physically in a bad place. That was terrifying. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of when when you were at the worst of the concussion thing and you would get out of a car and you just weren't yourself. Now, you didn't actually, you know, it, sometimes you wouldn't exhibit the same, you know, symptoms or the same reaction as Bubba was having, but, like, there were times when we were like, man, something's wrong with him. I, I don't remember that. <laughs> but Well, that hence an, another yeah. problem with the concussions. <laughs> Listen, I'm not so sh- – I know Bubba said that, but there was – that the mental anguish of the week had probably kind of got to him. I would probably assume I'm no doctor, but like I think that the the uh, heat and the exhaustion of the race probably had something to do with it as well. But I'm telling you what, I hope somebody's making him go to a doctor, not just taking his word for it that uh, you know after the race that oh yeah, this was just a week. It's just been a rough week, and I, I think he needs to get checked out because I I'm worried about him. Well, we've got a race coming up here in the middle of the week, Martinsville, and then they got to go to Homestead, which will be another blazing hot race. Um, so hopefully those guys are not only taking care of themselves and their bodies and packing in the, the water and hydration and nutrition, but they're also working on their cars and trying to improve their cars as well to be a little more comfortable for the drivers so that they don't have to. I was in a race one time at, um, I was racing at Myrtle beach speedway. I, I was running a late model race, a hundred laps. It was 95 degrees and I had to get out of the, I raced the late model car for a hundred laps and had to get out of that car and get into the Xfinity car and race that car. This was in 1996 running my first Xfinity race. And I had to run 300 laps in that car. And with about 40 laps to go or 20 laps to go, I was completely coherent, but I'm driving and I just realized that I was very dry and my body had sweated out the very last bit of sweat and I was my it was a weird feeling like I had become like when you're when you get out of the pool and you're wet and you dry off you know that that transition of going from being you know soaking wet to dry well we're in the car and I'm completely sweaty and I just noticed like I'm I am dry like my hands are dry face is dry it was it was beet red but dry, and you know then I started to sort of have like uh, hallucinations or just fainting and and weird things going on, and that's a very scary. That's as close as I've ever come to anything like that. I've seen Denny Hamlin have some issues with that, especially uh, as well after races at at Pocono one year. We saw Denny um, have some. He was 
really flush and eyes rolling back in his head and couldn't put together any words and uh, wobbling around. And, and uh, it's just a scary scene. But I hope those guys are taking care of themselves because I think Homestead's going to be even harder on them than Atlanta was. I'm nervous about Homestead. I'm thinking about that now. And it's Tuesday, and we're going to race on Saturday. And I'm already drinking more water um, than I typically do and, and trying to think about what I'm putting in my body to uh, make sure that I'm, I'm good to go. RVing is one of the best methods of travel to see the country. It's easy, safe, fun, and affordable. At Camping World and Gander RV and Outdoors, you can see America for less. Choose from their nationwide selection of over 35,000 RVs with options to fit any budget and any lifestyle. You can hit the road for your next trip in an RV that sleeps five and hooks up to your truck or SUV for less than $5 per day. That's less than a cup of coffee. Need to load up on RV products, camping and outdoor essentials? Camping World and Gander RV and Outdoors, they've got you covered. Whatever you need for your next adventure, you'll be sure to find it at any of their many locations nationwide. So what are you waiting for? It's time to get outdoors. Visit your local Camping World and Gander RV and Outdoors today and see America for less. Visit CampingWorld.com and GanderOutdoors.com today. All right, guys, we got some good odd history for you. It says here, Odd History 301, with a little help from a beer can. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see what that's all about. Yeah. Feels like it might be a Dillner joke, and we know how those go. Uh, <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> Richard Petty won 200 NASCAR Grand National races. But did you know that he credited a can of beer for one of those wins? That's right. All right, here's the story. Martinsville Speedway, September 1969. Late in the race, Richard Petty was a lap down. He passed the leader, David Pearson, with 39 laps to go to get back on the lead lap. As he passed the start-finish line, a fan threw a beer can at Petty's car. It was a direct hit on the front windshield of the 43. Luckily, the car wasn't damaged, but the unruly fan's actions did cause officials to throw a caution flag to get the can off the racing surface. Pearson, he pitted under the yellow, and Petty stayed out, handing him the lead and eventually his eighth Martinsville win. In victory lane, Petty said, I didn't have the fastest car by any means, but I got some help from a Pearson fan who threw the can even though it's not very pleasant to have something like that hit your windshield. The race was Richard's 101st win, and also of note, it was the last victory for Richard driving a Ford. So there's a lesson to be learned here. If you're a passionate, ticked-off race fan, maybe you should think before throwing that beer. Let's raise a beer to NASCAR man for teeing this one up. Speaking of beer, it's time for Last Call. Last Call! All right, everybody, that was a lot of fun. Good show, good conversation. I hope we didn't uh, upset too too many NASCAR folks talking about the Speedway in Nashville. I hope they prove us wrong. I really do. I want that to be successful. And, yeah, hit us up on Dirty Mo Media and, and tell us tell us what you feel about uh, where you side on a couple of these conversations we had today. It'll be, here to, it'll be fun to hear everybody's opinion. Enjoy the week. Have a lot of fun. Can't wait to see you guys uh, at the racetrack this weekend at Homestead. 
I won't be seeing anybody at the racetrack at Homestead. <laughs> Can't wait to not see you at Homestead. Can't wait to not see you. <laughs> this bit of badassery was badassery was made by badassery. Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.